welcome to Cultural Quarter of an Hour podcast, a podcast where we celebrate the culture of Stoke-on-Trent and North Staffordshire. And remember, culture, it is so much more than stuffy paintings in a stuffy art gallery. It is so much more than a posh orchestra playing to posh people in posh ball gowns and suits. The culture we're talking about is the culture of every day, the culture of our city, our area that surrounds the city. It is the people, it is the buildings on our streets, it is the canals we enjoy, it is the heritage that is actually part of our everyday life, our present and our future. So grab a brew, peel your ears back and enjoy. Welcome to this week's cultural quarter of an hour. Hope you are well. This week I have come to Burslem to go on a special tour exploring Arthur Berry. There were changes in society with uh, the, the housing boom, etc. And, and little things that meant so much to Arthur have begun to change. So, for example, uh, the old uh, wooden rollers, you know, the mangle, the mangle rollers, they were beginning to disappear just about by the 1950s. And the well, it's historian uh, Mervyn Edwards who is leading the tour, and I've been having a chat with him about how he thinks this evening went. I was absolutely delighted. The last time we did this was on a Monday morning. We got, I think, 40-odd then. So we just wanted to do this with a different audience tonight. And as I joked at the beginning, a rather more classy one, but I'm sure people will forgive me for that. What do you think people think about Arthur Berry before they come on the, the, the tour? I think some people may be open-minded if they've not seen too much of the artwork and uh, they want to have a look at what he is about. He is somebody who inspires a great deal of curiosity and his artwork uh, to many uh, uh, the, mind, the mindset is, 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 is possibly marmite you'll either really like what Arthur does or you will not but the great thing is if you don't like the artwork there's something else with Arthur to amuse so on the talk earlier on I did say uh, a lot of his work his output was punctuated by various bits of daft he said and I like that who wants perfection? He didn't do perfection. And besides of which, it's bad for your mental health, as I suspect he realised. I was going to say, you mentioned a lot that so it, nothing... He wasn't someone who was a consistently high up there, bang on the mark every single time he did something. He did stuff because he wanted to do it. He was prolific and it churned out of him. We can all be picky with what we do as creative people. In fact, I've been told off about it before now. I think Arthur got it uh, just right. Uh, he did produce. Uh, he did scratch over old paintings that perhaps he wasn't too pleased with. But I think with, with Arthur, uh, the main thrust was, was getting on and doing something else as well and creating. And creativity, therefore, was his raison d'etre. So this is a man who was around in most people who's here's lifetime. What do you think? What is your memory uh, of, of him? My own personal memories. Uh, with me, it would have to be because he, like me, loved public houses. Of course, he's waxed rhapsodic on these many, many times before. Um, he used to 
frequent a pub called The Plough in Wollstanton, which I remember doing similarly when I was a, a very younger man. And he would often play court to a, a, a coterie of... They were probably art students and various friends. And you could tell that he was enjoying himself. But the, again, the interest of Arthur Berry is that he, I think, was fairly insular until he got to know you. So... I never quite plucked up the courage to go over and talk with him because I think there was a sort of invisible shield there and I wanted to respect his privacy. How much do you regret that? Well, the only time I did venture up to him is um, a friend of mine wanted um, his autograph on a one of his books for, for her birthday and so I did go over to Arthur and I said, Mr Berry, can you sign the book for me? And I passed it to him with the pen and he looked up at me as if I were a, a younger gentleman taking the mix somewhat, which of course I wasn't doing. So it's the, it's the privacy thing. There's a, there was a shield going on. So he, he, he gingerly took the book and the pen from me, signed it and gave it back without a word. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite part of the tour then this evening? I would say it was the chance to recite some of the more humorous poems of Arthur. As it may have been evident, I really get off on that because I, I can do a pseudo-Arthur voice. I love the timbre of the voice, the rhythms of it, and the comedy contained within that poetry. And, you know, laughter is one of the most marvellous sounds in the world, so if you can make an audience laugh, it's partly me, it's mainly Arthur. I'll take that any day of the week. I bet you will. <laughs> and uh, you do, this isn't the only thing you do, you do lots of uh, history tours, don't you, around, around the city. What... What is it about this city that inspires you? I think it's where it's come from, what it wants to be, uh, and how the mindset of local people has changed or otherwise. I think the mindset of local people is easily recognisable if you go back 100, 120 years and you read the works of Arnold Bennett, for example. And my goodness, did he not have a wonderful handle on local people? Um, he got them down to a T, perhaps whether you liked it or not. But I think and, and the, the thing with, with uh, Arnold Bennett, he was a truthful writer. He could have butted up uh, local people. He could have gone out to impress them and to, to, to engage them. But I think he wanted to tell the, the truth, uh, the harshness of the life that he saw in the five towns, as he wrote in the novels, uh, at that period. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why his last is, is, is endured so much as an author. In 25, 50 years, 60 years, 80 years time, when different people are on these tours, touring around, who do you think they'll be talking about? They may well be talking about Arthur Berry because I think his legacy is there and Arnold Bennett certainly. Um, I've mentioned in the past that I would have liked to have seen Stoke-on-Trent value uh, Arnold Bennett as much as I think Dorchester honours and, um, and, and really soups up Thomas Hardy who is another one of my favourite writers. So I think that will come uh, with the goodwill of, for example, the Arnold Bennett Society who are doing a fantastic job by the way. Um, I think the other thing, I mean, your question was which of the figures will people remember in 100 years' time? The difficulty is, uh, you know, even 20 or 30 years from here is please, let's not lose any more of our building stock, the fine buildings that exist 
uh, for example, in Burslem, there are so many jewels in Burslem's crown architecturally, um, and so much history breathed through the brickwork of those buildings. Let's be a little bit more uh, attentive to the whole idea of conservation, please. Thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure. But if you want a style icon who sums up um, the mentality of Stoke-on-Trent or some of the culture, I don't think you can look any further or see a better example than Arthur Berry. And his work is sustained, as he puts it, by various bits of daft. And it is. This evening's tour began and finished at... uh, Bearwall Art Gallery here in Burnsdom and I've been speaking to Amanda Bromley who is the owner of Bearwall Art Gallery along with Kathy Roberts who is a poet who was also on the tour this evening. Well besides it being um, a artist who we've worked with for the past seven years um, very enjoyably um, I, I just think he represents the potteries in such a unique way and uh, he is so talented uh, that uh, I, I just can't really not um, be involved with him. He's, he's just such a wonderful artist and it's an absolute honour to have him on the walls of the gallery. As we were going around this evening, there were lots of people reflecting on their memories of him in Burslem and, and beyond. What is it about Burslem and Arthur Berry that you think people just have that connection with? Well, I think he was, even though he was born in Smallthorne and uh, he, he spent a lot of time in Burslem and, and really he was, he was one, one of them, you know, and he, he really got to know the people of this area. Um, but he, he also um, uh, kind of expressed them in his painting and his poems, his, his writing um, and his monologues um, in such a way that it, it kind of carries way beyond Burslem. It, it, you know, it's, for me, it's of, you know, it's, it's national um, importance and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he really is uh, um, waving a flag for the area. Um, he, he absolutely loved Burslem, there's no doubt about it. Does it frustrate you that artists like Arthur Berry don't necessarily get the the national recognition you feel they deserve? Um, well, I think it's a case of just just working at that really, and it will come because he is such a you know he's he's got such a lot left for us to work with that it, it's almost uh, it's just a matter of when. For me, he's like um, the Lowry of Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire, because. Um, he had the same kind of fascination with the working classes and just observing ordinary everyday life in much the same way that Lowry just painted what he saw around him, factory people, people in the street. Um, Berry was completely fascinated by the ordinary people, much more so than, say, you know, normal middle-class people. He wasn't so interested in the educated intellectuals. He was really more interested in street life and, and the misshapen people, the people who people, the pubs, the ones with, you know, stunted growth and very ugly, a pregnant girl of maybe 14 or 15. Arthur was fascinated by the kind of ordinary backstreet life that he surrounded himself by. Oh, you were on the tour this afternoon, this evening. What did you make of it? I really enjoyed the walk. I would have liked a lot more because I know that Arthur and his youth went to many more pubs, which probably no longer extant and probably have to walk twice or twice or three times as far. But um, it did bring some back, back some good memories for me. I do remember him very much so in the Duke William 
and I was telling somebody earlier, uh, he used to have a little round table in the corner and people would say, there's King Arthur with his round table because a dozen or so people would cram around listening to his stories and he'd got opinions on everything, political and apolitical, artistic, he knew people and he knew a lot of artists too. So he was quite a massive influence over the students in this town. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a poet, what do you make of his poetry? Well, I'm a bit jealous of it because it's so amusing for a start. So if you, if he, you know, he wrote in such an accessible manner, a very relaxed and unselfconscious way, just the way he talked, actually. So maybe that gives you a clue of how he used to sound. So he wasn't striving to be self-consciously poetic, but he was actually, um, again, just talking about the way he saw life, the poem about chips and things like that. The noble uh, chip. Yeah, yeah, very accessible yeah, exactly. and ordinary. Yeah. Make a poem about anything. Yeah. He could make a poem about anything at all, you know. So as a poet, I think he was really in touch with his, his observation, you know, his own observations. He was very acute about studying people, listening to them, reflecting on what he saw around him. Very truthful as well. It's almost social commentary, isn't it? It's not a creative... It is creativity, but what I mean is it's social commentary as well, isn't it? Very much so. I think that's what comes through. Social commentary, even more than you might call it poetry. At one point, I was reminded of James Joyce and Ulysses, and I'm thinking, my God, he's a kind of virtual Ulysses, you know? So, sounds a bit mad, but that's the kind of stream of consciousness thing that he was doing all the time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, his painting as well. You know, I mean, you can you can look across. Um, you know, people like Van Gogh, and you know, he's 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 he would choose to do a still life of potatoes. You know, and a and a jug. You know, it's the it's the food of the working classes. You know, he's he's he, for me, he just really captures this area and 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 presents it in a very noble and you know kind of uh, important way. So. You know, I, I love his work. I know. <laughs> yeah. Some of his work's very tender. Some of it strikes me as, personally, a sort of a little bit dour, you know, and a little bit sort of dark and not and maybe not so attractive. I might not want to hang it on my wall. And then there are other things that he painted. I feel they've got a great tenderness, the way he captures the spirit of the person and maybe when he does the, the flowers here and the magnolias... There's there's a real wild beauty in that, and I think he had a great sensitivity when it came to painting. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Cultural Quarter of an Hour. I'll be back, as always, next week. In the meantime, you can get in touch with me in the usual ways. At CQHpod is Twitter handle, and you can find me on Facebook as well, Cultural Quarter of an Hour Podcast. <laughs>